Thank you very much, Mr. Horace. Um, thank you for coming along tonight, and thank your minister in session for the invitation to come and to share God's word on this St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, tonight we're going to be thinking about the subject, the gospel according to Patrick. We're going to think a little about what he preached, the truths that he presented, truths that really were very similar to what we present here in this day in which we live. And then afterwards, I'm going to deliver a talk on our, our Celtic Irish heritage, and that'll be a presentation, and we'll try and cover about 600 years of history. How long do I have with that? Maybe not that long. No, not that long. No, no. Well, I'll probably go on if you start walking out. I know it's time to stop. But uh, it, it, probably about 40, 45 minutes we'll try and cover right from St. Patrick right through until the moment that the, the English came and then everything went wrong. Uh, so that'll whet your appetite for later on. Uh, we're turning now to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This is a good passage to begin with where the subject tonight is concerned um, because this passage gives us a real insight into New Testament theology and the gospel that Patrick preached was clear, simple New Testament theology, Christ-centered, Bible-centered evangelical. So let's just read this passage. We're reading verses 1 through to 20 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also delivered unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge, in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let's seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, as we come into thy holy presence, we thank you for this time of fellowship. We thank you for the singing of these hymns, these songs of praise that have reminded us so much of our Saviour, of that precious blood. We thank you for the one who is our wisdom, who is our might, and who is our strength. We pray that you be with us now as we consider your truth. And as we consider the works of God in a bygone age, and as we consider the core principles of a New Testament church, and the ministry thereof, we pray for the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. In the Saviour's name we ask all of this. Amen. Amen. It's quite ludicrous the way Patrick is celebrated. He celebrated across the world. Probably more celebrated outside Ireland than in Ireland. Nevertheless, he is celebrated in Ireland too. And the manner in which he is celebrated. In some places there's green beer. Guinness was given away, I believe, over this past weekend. All kinds of rubbish. Revelry. It's used as an opportunity by politicians, particularly across in America, to get some kind of message transmitted across the Atlantic to us. And of course there's the politicising of Patrick the waving of the tricolour, so on and so forth. And all that is so far removed from who Patrick actually was, what he stood for, what he preached. And, of course, the Roman Catholic Church has taken Patrick and made him one of their own, made him one of, one of their own saints. Of course, there is no record of any pope ever making Patrick a saint because Patrick existed so long ago, way back in the 5th century, and there is no record back there of the Pope making anyone a saint, and you will know uh, that Roman Catholicism, the Pope uh, makes an individual a saint, beatifies that person, but that didn't happen with Patrick. And why is Patrick regarded as a saint, and why is he regarded as a patron saint? Well, you know, the whole idea of being a patron saint, that comes straight out of ancient Roman paganism. Everybody had their own unique God. The sailors had a God, the farmer, the soldier. All of these individuals had gods. And then whenever Christianity came along and paganism became part of Christianity and Christianity then corrupted into what we call the Roman Catholic Church today. All of these old gods were replaced with Christian saints, and so the people made gods out of people. And that really is where the whole idea of a patron saint comes from. Yes, we talk about Saint Patrick. He was a saint, but he was a saint in the same way that we're all saints, those of us who are saved. Because Paul, he wrote here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. All of God's people are saints of God. And what Patrick did as a saint of God, 
as a preacher of the gospel. We shouldn't regard him as being a bishop or an archbishop or anything along those lines. In fact, as I'll share with you later, the old church in Ireland that predated Roman Catholicism, that church didn't talk really about bishops in that type of order. used a, a term that we perhaps are more familiar with, used the term presbyter. Sometimes they used the term elder. But as he came, he was what we call a missionary. And he helped to transform. He by no means was not the only one. But he helped to transform this island into a place of saints and scholars. And as he transformed by the grace of God this island into, the, into a land of saints and scholars, he, he took on paganism. He took on the, the forces of evil. He took on the druids and he took on witchcraft. He faced evil in a way that we have never had to face evil. And he won that battle. And that is a tribute to the ministry of this man. Now, Patrick, he's a long, long time ago. A lot of water has passed under the bridge since then. And the further you look back, the more misty everything becomes. Um, some have said that perhaps there were more men by the name of Patrick. There perhaps wasn't just the one. Some have talked about seven Patricks. And, and there is the confusion where he came from. Did he come from Scotland? Did he come from Wales? There's some confusion over his burial as well. Of course, it is claimed here in County Down that he's buried in Downpatrick, but the English, some will say that he's actually buried in Glastonbury, and there is a place there called St. Patrick's Chapel in the old ruins at Glastonbury. But I, I think that highlights that he wasn't just a character who was known here in Ireland. He was a character that was known across the seas as well. Such was his impact. But what we are concerned about this evening is Patrick's ministry. What did he preach? What was his theology? What was his message? You know, he, he, he was a missionary. And the Celtic missionaries, we know, they, they travelled in groups. And they would have travelled in groups of 13. And there would have been one at the leading the way and there would have been 12 followers and they did not travel alone. It would have been far too dangerous for an individual to travel alone to do this kind of work. They, they travelled in groups. They ministered. And they preached. They brought God's word and they presented Christ and they presented the gospel. But they were on a mission. They were on a mission. And the Christian church is always on a mission. The Christian church's purpose is to bring God's word to a society. And your function here is to bring God's word to this town and district. As the church in which I minister to in the Clogger Valley, the function is to bring God's word to that community. That's our duty. That's our responsibility under God. And that's exactly what Patrick did. And from that perspective, he must interest us a lot. So what was the gospel according to Patrick? What was it? First of all, it was 
scriptural message. It was a message that came straight out of God's word. There is no doubting the fact that the ancient Christian movement, which Archbishop Usher said, and the last time I was here, we talked about Archbishop Usher. But Archbishop Usher, he was a great scholar, great intellect, great historian. He said that that ancient Christian movement, some people call it the, the Scoto-Irish Church, the Scotch-Irish Church. Some people call it the Celtic Church. He says in all the churches of, 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 of ancient Europe, he said that is the closest church we can discover to the church of the apostles, to the early church. That's an amazing statement. And why did he make that statement? I've been turning that over in my mind for several years, why he made that statement. I think I have the answer. The reason why I believe he made that statement was because by the time Patrick came along, the Roman Empire was imploding. It was a time of fierce upheaval. It was a time of war and bloodshed. The old order that had been around for a thousand years had now collapsed, disintegrated. It was a fearful time. And yet here, on the very edge of Europe, was a church that was thriving, it was growing, it was being added to, and there were schools being established, Christian communities being established, not only here, but in Scotland, and then eventually in England, and a great work was being done. And across in the continent, well, we had two competing strains of Christianity. We had the Greek church in the eastern flank of the old Roman Empire. We had the Latin church in the western flank of the old Roman Empire. And they were troubled with fierce divisions, with controversy, with strife. And of course the western church would eventually become the Roman Catholic church. And that was corrupting all the time. But as that church was corrupting, there was a light shining from this island of which we're a part. And that absolutely amazes me and humbles me to think that whenever we look at old ruins of old Christian sites and there were men of God who laboured there who copied out the scriptures there, who read God's word there who, whose desire was to maintain the word and to give the word to their community they didn't belong to an age where the Bible was closed and hidden from the people. And that's what happened in the Dark Ages. That's why there had to be a Reformation. But that day had not come. They treasured the Word. They gave the Word. They presented the Word. They preached the Word. There is a biography of Patrick. It's an old biography, not written by anyone who was a contemporary of him. But... Probably written within 200 years of Patrick. And that biography quotes some of his words as he faced the Druids, as he faced those who claimed to have witchcraft. And what did he do? As our Lord did. When he faced the devil, he quoted scripture. The Psalm 20 verse 7 is referred to. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the Lord our God. 
Psalm 68 verse 1. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. That's a great text when facing evil, isn't it? When facing darkness, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Then in the years after Patrick, we had the arrival of Columba. And we'll talk about Columba or Colum Kill as he is known in the Irish later on. He was a great scribe of the scriptures. The last thing he wrote, the last thing he scribed out was Psalm 34 verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. When he wrote that, he put the pen down. He went into the house of God and he passed away went into the presence of God. And the simple lesson that we derive from all of that is this. We need to treasure God's word. We're part of a, a community of believers. You're part of a congregation, a community, a flock of God. And it is your primary aim as a church, as a congregation, to treasure God's word. As individuals, to read the word of God and to read it every day. To come to God's house with an open mind, with an open heart, to hear what God would say. Because it is only as we hear what God will say... We will know what God wants us then to do. And as we know what God wants us to do, we will be able to go out and do what God wants us to do and serve him and be set on fire for the Lord. But without the scriptures as our guiding light, we won't be able to do the work of God. And how does the church change society? We do not change society through social programs or welfare programs and while it is good and beneficial and it's placed to be able to help people and show a spirit of Christian love that is important in its place it does not replace the scripture because all scripture is given by inspiration of God Paul wrote to Timothy and it's profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness and as Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy We need to take heed to it. It is a light that shines in a dark place. And Ireland was so dark in those days. But the light began to shine through the ministry of Patrick and others. They preached the word instant in season and out of season we bemoan. The darkness of these days. The secularism of these days. The atheism of these days. The manner in which our society is turning rapidly against God. But yet the darkness of these days is not as dark as the island that Patrick came to as a young man. And yet there was transformation. God came. Be encouraged. Never, ever, ever devalue or underestimate the value of the word. And thank God you come to a church where the word is preached. You bring your children to a place where the word is presented and let us hold on to the old sword. So we come to our second heading here about the gospel according to Patrick. It wasn't only scriptural but it was Christ-centered. We do have the confession of Patrick, something that was written by Patrick's own pen. That's found in an old book called the Book of Armagh. It's held in Trinity College, Dublin now. 
And in the book of Armagh we have his confession. And it is said that the scribe who, who, who wrote out the confession, who, who copied it out into the book of Armagh, actually copied it from Patrick's own hand. So he had a manuscript that was actually written by Patrick himself. And in Patrick's confession, we read of his clear emphasis upon Jesus Christ as the one who is at the heart of the gospel. He talked there about God the Father, and I quote, unbegotten, without beginning, upholding all things. And then he mentions Jesus Christ in an ineffable manner, begotten before all beginning, and by him were made things visible and invisible. And there you can clearly see the influence of Paul's writings. A man who was familiar with Paul's writings. For by him, verse 16 of Colossians 1, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Talks there about Christ. Patrick said he was made man, having overcome death. He was received into heaven unto the Father. The Father hath given unto him all power above every name of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That every tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, whom we believe and look for his coming, who is soon about to be the judge of quick and dead, who will render under every man according to his works and hath poured into us abundantly the gift of the Holy Ghost, whom we confess and worship. One God in the trinity of his sacred name. Believed in God the Father, believed in God the Son, believed in God the Holy Ghost. The whole story of him using the, the shamrock to illustrate the trinity is most likely a legend and a, a myth that was fabricated later on. But nevertheless we know from these writings that he was trinitarian, Christ exulting. And Christ was at the heart of the ministry that he presented. And that's exactly what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1. Because what we have in Colossians chapter 1 is an early Christian creed inspired by God. And Paul is showing these people what they are to believe. And at the heart of their belief is Christ, redeemed through the blood of Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the firstborn of every creature. All things were made by him, for him, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And you see, this is the gospel the church presents. It is Christ and Christ alone. Whenever we have the book, we have the Savior. Whenever we study the book, we study the Savior. And whenever we preach the book, we preach the Savior. The Bible is not Merely a book of philosophy. Oh, there's good philosophy in it. But ultimately it's the book of the man Christ Jesus. And what he does for poor lost sinners. And how he died on the cross that we might be redeemed. What a glorious message that is. And how we should say hallelujah that we have such a wonderful saviour. In the book of Armagh there is a hymn. We sang one of the hymns of the, the old Irish church earlier. Be Thou My Vision. And what strikes me about this early Christian tradition was the way in which those people knew God. They had a familiarity with God. Whenever you think of those words, 
Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. You get a sense of how the writer knew God. That challenges my heart. But there is a hymn in the book of Armagh. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. That's the common name for it. I'm going to read you some words from it. You probably have heard some of the words before. I bind myself to thee today, the power of God to guide me, the might of God to uphold me, the wisdom of God to teach me, the eye of God to watch over me, the ear of God to hear me, the word of God to give me speech, the hand of God to protect me, the way of God to go before me, the shield of God to shelter me, the host of God to defend me against the snares of demons, against the temptations of demons, against the lust of nature, against every man who meditates injury to me, whether far or near, whether few or many. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left. And as he came to this island to face the powers of darkness, there were many enemies and many adversaries, but yet he knew that Christ was there. And can we not take that with us in whatever we're facing in life? Whatever we face, whatever path the sovereignty of God lays out for us, whatever challenges we, we have that arises that causes us conflict, Christ is always there, at our right, at our left, above, beneath, around, never leaving, never forsaking. What a saviour. And if you're here and if you're not saved tonight, this is who you need. You need Christ. The only saviour of the soul. There's one third thought I want to bring before you. In the Gospel of St. Patrick, it was scriptural, it was Christ-centred. But it was also evangelical. It was a gospel that presented the importance and the necessity of the new birth. He was most definitely a preacher of good news. And his life was shaped by the fact that he came to this island as a young boy, as a slave. And what was that not like for him? Those were brutal times. Life was cheap in those days. And with the whole Roman order breaking down... And with the Roman legions having gone back to Italy, there was lawlessness. And he belonged to a Roman British family. Patricius, he was. He was Latin. He was a Briton. And in those days, his family suffered the real tragedy of being beset by these robbers who carried away their son. This is Mother's Day. And have we not a heart for Patrick's mother? Her heartbreak, her tears. She might never see her son again. Would he be taken? Would he be killed? Would he be abused? Cruel times. It was a dark, dark moment. And yet he came to this island and he came to County Antrim and he came to Slemish. And there looking after the sheep of his master, he was converted by grace. And he said this, I knew not the true God, and I was carried in captivity into Ireland. And there the Lord opened the sense of my own belief that 
Though late I should remember my sins and be converted with my whole heart unto the Lord my God. He'd been brought up in a Christian family, you see. His father was a minister, as well as being local magistrate of the community. And he had rejected the gospel that his parents had presented to him. And yet the Lord brought him to this moment of crisis. And in this moment of crisis, he thought of the prayers of his parents and the faithfulness of the home that he was brought up in. The Lord touched his heart. And although he was a slave, he was set free from his servitude. And that gave him the the power to become the evangelist that he was. Converted by grace and the most horrible of circumstances. Sometimes God takes a sinner to a place of crisis. Takes that person to the deepest and darkest place in this world so that their heart might be open to the gospel. God doesn't always work like that. In fact, no two Christians have gone through the the same route to salvation. We all get to the cross. But for some it's a, a rockier road and a more difficult road than others. Some resist more than others. But in Patrick's case, God by his sovereignty had a purpose in taking him into servitude and it just shows you that whatever we face in this world, God's in control. He's working out a great plan. God was working out a plan through the slave boy looking after the sheep and slemish. Who would ever have thought it? God's ways are not our ways. The conversion of his spirit was the fundamental need of his heart. And so he learned the lessons. Standing there upon Slamish, looking across the sea in a clear day, seeing Scotland in the distance. He learned the lesson. And he needed to see it. I wonder if you learned that lesson. Have you heard that voice? God's spoken to you. You're here tonight. You're not saved. You don't know the Lord is your saviour. And you've been resisting and you've been turning away and perhaps you have kicked against the pricks like the apostle Paul before he was converted. But God's speaking tonight. Will you yield yourself to the Lord as young Patrick did? And then Patrick said that many through his means were born again. We use that phrase born again. That's what happened to him. And that was the message that he preached, the message that our Lord brought to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so it is for us tonight, all these years later. Many things have changed, but the book hasn't changed, and the message hasn't changed, and the gospel hasn't changed. You still need to be born again. Have you given your life to the Lord? Have you been changed, transformed by the power of grace? Amen. We'll hand back to Reverend Horace.